gophers. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're glad to be here. I am. What's a gopher? Anybody uh, 18 years old and younger can tell me? You know, you puffs need to move because when I preach, you're right in front of me. Will, what's a gopher? A g- <laughs> I, must, I must share with you that in um, our administrative assistant here at the church, <clears throat> our, our dear Mrs. Perelka uh, spelled it correctly. It's not a golfer on Wednesday nights, Olympian buddies. It is G-O-F-O-R. And uh, I'm sure that Brazley and Greg Prelka would like to have it G-O-L-F-E-R. <laughs> but it's not. It's gopher. Will, are you a gopher at home? Say yes. That, that, <laughs> that helps me out a lot. Okay. <laughs> when I was growing up, I was my dad's gopher. Anybody else a gopher around here? Sure. Hey, John, go for that. Go for this. I need it. Go. And so when he was on his knees or he was pounding something or he needed more nails, I, I left. I had to go get them. That's a go for. All right. Not a gopher, but a go for. <clears throat> I remember a couple of times, I'm sure Will would never do this, uh, walking away, and I'm under my breath, I'm saying, Dad, why don't you go get it this time? <laughs> Have you been there? If I said it out loud and he heard it, I would not be here today. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> We're going to talk about being God's gophers today. Um, isn't it interesting, dads and grandpas and grandmas and, grand- and moms too, <clears throat> that our children were our gophers. And, and if your kids are married, then their kids are gophers. And I'd like to illustrate that for just about 15 seconds with a little video. Joshua and Hannah, our last kid, Josh, and their two boys just moved from the city area to the country in Iowa. And uh, their two boys are their gophers. Look out for Jagger. Jagger's right behind you. Attaboy. Want to switch? Yes. Good job. So... He's got, a, he's got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a little uh, one-and-a-half-year-old, and they just moved into this home, and so they're constantly going to get things for them. You know, as, as much as I didn't want to be Dad's gopher when I was growing up, he was teaching me some things, as he was, as your, your parents and grandparents were due. He was teaching me how to be a servant with my mouth closed. Boy, I could have said, as I just said, I could have said a lot of things, uh, but I didn't. And he was teaching me about tools. So I know what a screwdriver is today. I know what a hammer is. I know what a drill. 
and so on and so on. And I've been able to do that at our homes, a DIY guy, and then share that with my kids because they were gophers. He taught me good work ethics, what it means to work. He taught me how to sweat. <laughs> he taught me the value of sore muscles. And he taught me the value of obedience. And that's where we are today in terms of our message today. The disciples that surrounded the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago ended up, and even at the time that he was teaching them, they were his gophers. And when he left, he sent a comforter, a paraclete, the Holy Spirit to come and guide them as they lived out their gopherism. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, would you please? And now that you're there, let me lead you once again in prayer. Our almighty God, we've sung about you and your son's return today in our service, which is worship. We've heard of the great things you've done and are doing out at Patmos and with our dear loved ones here today not only at camp, but physically what you're doing in their lives with Christy. And, and we're just so thrilled to be here with them today. And we want to be your kind of full-time Christian servants of yours, all of us that know the Lord Jesus. And we want to be your type of missionaries, ministering wherever we go, we want to be missional-minded. We want to be gophers for God. And we pray this in your son's name, who is coming back again. Amen. Can I take you briefly through Jesus feeding the passage where Jesus was feeding the 4,000? And I want just uh, to briefly share with you what the disciples then were doing as they followed him and how remarkable of a teacher he was and what he was doing in uh, Mark chapter 8. And I just have a couple points here, so I'm, just, I'm going to the passage, uh, that, uh, uh, to the verse. I won't read the whole thing, but it's all about the Lord Jesus feeding the 4,000 who were very hungry and were uh, interested in what he was sharing with them and were sitting there for hours listening to him. Verse 8 of Mark chapter 8, verse 1, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 8. In those days again, when there was a great multitude, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three 
days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on their way, and some of them have come from a distance. That's pretty good. Three days they sat and listened to the Lord Jesus, and he was so, and they were so enamored that they, they, uh, they didn't ask for food. Verse 1, And he called his disciples and said to them, so number one, they, he called for a purpose. He called them. And number two, in verse two, he says, I feel compassion for them. What a teacher. He calls them to his side. The disciples, <clears throat> we're not told how many exactly there were that, at that moment. There could have been more than just the apostles. But he said, I have compassion for these people. And today, I, uh, I define compassion as love in action. Love in action. Hey, guys, I have compassion. I have some love, and I want to make it into some action here with these folks who have been here for three days listening to me. So he called the disciples to himself. He had compassion toward the people, And I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 6. After his prayer, verse 6, And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the multitude. He prayed, had a couple of loaves, had a couple of fish, he prayed, and it multiplied. Now that's what he was to do, and he did. And then he turned to his disciples, he said, now you pass it out. In the book of Luke, Luke describes to us as a doctor the details. He said that Jesus told his disciples to number them and sit them down by fifties. That's interesting. <laughs> Count them all out, and then sit down in 50s, and we'll organize them that way, and then we'll give their food. Whether it was that passage or this passage, the idea was, I want you to be gophers for me. I'm going to perform the miracle. I'll give you lots of food, but I want you to do it. Could Jesus have fed them just as well as, and pass it out, just as well as the disciples? Sure. That's not why I would say to Jason and Josh as they were growing up, in my head, I could actually go get the hammer, which is down uh, three flights down, but, uh, you know, you're there and you're a young kid. and You go down and get it. I, I could have, Dad could have, but he didn't, Dad didn't, and I didn't. Boy, it's really nice to have uh, a fellow my age come up to me and put his arm around me and, <laughs> when we're doing some kind of chores here at church, whisper in my ear, don't, don't lift that. Let the little guy, let the younger guys do that. Oh, I love that. Keep doing that to me. That, that's, that's good. In other words, we've done that. You're at a good age that you're going to let somebody else do it, so I'll let Ryan do it. He's a big brute. And verse 8, from verse 6 down to verse 8, 
And they ate, and the people were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over on, uh, of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. Not only did they pass the food out, but they went and collected with seven baskets, large baskets full of what was left over. Thank you, Jesus, for your miracle. And it was his disciples that worked it out. The disciples were gophers, and Jesus said, do this for me. When I was a gopher for my father, I never thought of this as a privileged position. Never. Just the opposite. But it was. And it was for the disciples, too, because soon Jesus would have died, will have died, and risen and then ascended to heaven, and they were left. What a tremendous privileged position. Turn now to our passage in chapter 10 of Romans, Romans chapter 10. This will be our theme uh, uh, scripture, uh, our uh, mission conference, our global ministry conference passage uh, beginning next Sunday morning. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing that and promoting that. Chapter 10 of Romans. And we will be reading this passage here. And, and prior to reading it, though, I want you to have a sense of what the passage is going to say and why the Apostle Paul wrote chapter 10 of Romans. Paul faulted the Jewish people of that time on two counts. He faulted them. Number one count, for failing to see that God was doing something spiritually new with the Gentiles. You should know as well as I do that that the Jews were not in love with the Gentiles at all. A Gentile was anybody that was not Jewish. And even even in the temple there in Jerusalem or anywhere, there was never a room for worship for the Gentiles. They could be outside in a court, but they could never enter the synagogue or the temple itself. And all through the Old Testament... If you know the Old Testament, there was a great division between the Old Testament Jewish people and those who were not Jewish. So there was a great divide. You know that. In the New Testament, it talks about it. Galatians talks about it. Romans here, 9 and 10, talks about the great division. Well, he does fault them that Jesus, uh, Jesus had, when Paul wrote this, Jesus is in heaven. Uh, he did his work down here on earth. And so Paul faulted them for failing to see that God was doing something spiritually new with the Gentiles. They didn't like that. They were jealous. You're not a son of Abraham. You're not one of us. We don't like you. And secondly, he faulted them for failing to seek an eternal relationship with God the correct way through Christ and not by the law of Moses. 
they were still seeking, even after Jesus explained it, even after the apostles and the disciples went out and shared the good news of Christ, they still were seeking an eternal relationship with the Almighty through the law of Moses. Anytime you see, you read, particularly in the New Testament, the word law, it's capitalized L, that's the law of Moses. If it's not capitalized, it's just the word law without a capital L, then it's just the principle of commandments or rules or or the law of, of whatever. And so he always talks about the capital L. They were still trying to create a relationship with with Jehovah through the law. (coughs) Let me uh, read this passage, and we'll talk about it as we go down. Pay close attention to verses 1 and 2 that shows Paul's passion. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer desire and prayer to God for them is for their salvation, our Jewish folks, for, uh, for Gentiles. For I bear them for the, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Number one, we see Paul's passion was to see his Jewish people saved. We constantly talk about people who are doing good get to heaven. I'm constantly talking to people who are telling me that the way they're going to get to heaven uh, is by doing good. And uh, at that time, they don't know it, but it's like a Jewish person at that time saying, I'm going to have an eternal relationship with the Almighty through the law of Moses. By keeping the law. That would be impossible as it is for us today. Just before Christmas, a week ago, a week before Christmas, our teen youth group took our little book by Andy Stanley, How Good is Good Enough, and walked up and down 82 and went into the businesses that were open that Saturday, walked in and gave them a Christmas gift wrapped in paper and uh, in Christmas paper and gave it to them and said, Merry Christmas from Northfield Baptist Church Youth Group. And so 50 businesses received this book here. The book is all about how you do not get to heaven by doing good works. And you've got to stop and ask yourself, well, how many good works must I do then to finally get to heaven? In the Bible, in this little book, says there, there are no, uh, there's no amount of good works. Now, that, that's, that, that's interesting that, that Paul would say it that way. In fact, I'm going to flip back one page to chapter 9 of Romans, and I'm going to read this about his desire and passion for his Jewish people. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart 
Why? For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, that being the Jewish people, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I'm not sure I can say that. In chapter 9, he tells his readers, I would spend eternity in hell so that my nation of Israel, (coughs) excuse me, could go to heaven. And then he repeats it or reiterates it in chapter 10 when he says, my heart's desire and prayer for God is that my people would come to know Christ (coughs) and eternal life. That's powerful. In verses 3 through 7, we find the problem. We've noticed Paul's passion for the Jewish people, but in 3 through 7, we notice that Israel has a real problem. For not knowing about God's righteousness, in verse 3, and seeking to establish their own righteousness... They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. How good is good enough. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks this way, this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? (coughs) That is to bring Christ down. Seven, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ upon from the dead, up from the dead. (coughs) But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. In other words, the problem was with our Jewish friends back then, they were still trying to get to Christ or to uh, Jehovah through their own righteousness, which means living by the law. Could never happen. Jesus came to establish a new righteousness through his death, burial, and resurrection. That was the problem. And then 9 through 13 of that same passage is salvation's provision was given through Christ's death and resurrection. Verse 9, follow along with me, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Our pastoral staff <clears throat> meets every, uh, uh, our office staff meets every, tu- uh, every Tuesday at 1 o'clock. And along with pray- praying for you dear folks and some out of the church that are not well physically, we pray for people's souls. We pray that God would bring a spiritual awakening here in Northfield and Sagamore Hills and Twinsburg and in these surrounding areas. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would touch people 
so that they would come to know Christ as Savior. We pray that way. And Lord, give us opportunities to, to share. Help us to walk through the doors that you are opening <clears throat> so that we can share the good news with people. Just like Pastor mentioned this morning, we're not only concerned about our global ministries, but we're concerned about our local ministries, both local and global. That's Bible. We want people to understand verses 9 and 10. I've used these verses when we witness the people about Christ and having eternal life. <clears throat> As we move on, look at verses 14 and 15, which is the, uh, our theme verses for this next week, uh, Sunday through Wednesday Global Ministry Conference. Verses 13, verse 13, we, we uh, begin reading right in the middle of the sentence, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Can't be any more clear than that, can it? Saved from what? Saved from oneself, rejection of Christ, meaning eternal home would be hell. So they're saved from their choice of going to hell. They choose to go to hell. They choose to have an eternity without Christ. They choose that. They may not say it that way verbally, but they're refusing the righteousness of Christ. They're rejecting him. Thus they chose an eternal home away from the Trinity then Paul, beginning in verse 14, gives us four questions. Gives his reader four questions. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Three, third question, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Our theme is, why go? And the answer to that in our theme title, Why Go, is they need to hear. Whether it's the neighbor next door, <clears throat> whether it's our friend in China, whether it's our teacher at school, whether it's someone in Australia, why, why go? The answer is because they need to hear and believe. So verses 14 and 15 are God's preachers. Paul has a passion. He wants his people saved. But Israel has a problem. They're still looking at the Old Testament law as their personal righteousness. But salvation has a provision. It's through calling upon the name of the Lord. We sang about that this morning, calling upon the name of the Lord. I'm a sinner, Lord. I know you know that. I'm a sinner, and I'm admitting that to you, and I need the blood of Christ. Amen? 
There isn't enough that I can do. There isn't enough I can do. I've got to go through the cross and the empty tomb. And then praise the Lord, we have, or God has preachers. That's you and me. We're gophers for him. You and I carry the good news to those that need it. Each of the four questions that Paul uh, brings to our reader's attention, and that's us also, builds on the one before. How shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? How can you believe on somebody that you haven't heard about? And notice that the word believed is in every one of these questions. And how shall they believe in him, not on him, but in him whom they have not heard? How can they believe on this Jesus whom they've never heard? They don't know about him. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Who, who's going to verbalize this? Who's going to mobilize themselves to go and share? And the last one, how shall they preach unless they are sent? We're a sending agency, institution, Northfield Baptist Church. We send out people. Baptist Mid, Mission, ABWE, and other agencies, Compass 2819, we are agencies that serve. We don't send. You send. Churches send. We, in those agencies, serve. I loved, I loved Dave, what you said when you first got up here, that <clears throat> Patmos, uh, or in, your, in your vision statement, your mission statement, is that Patmos is a, an assistant we assist the local church. We're not taking over the local church's job. We're assisting them in the responsibility that God has given to them. Would you allow me to share the names and the places where they minister of my heroes and should be of your heroes? We personally, as a church, support these gophers. They're doing a job for Christ around the world. Along with these are 11 agencies dedicated to the gospel and loving people, such as Camp Patmos, Dave Sellers and his crew. And along with them, numerous Northfield Baptist Church retired missionaries over the last 30 years. When I was typing that list the other day, I, I, it took me forever to get through it. I'm a wuss. I'm a wimp. And I just kept te- weeping the whole time. Do you know what I just read? These people are our heroes. They're not anything more special than you and I.
but they're called out ones and then led to these countries and ministries. And you and I have the privilege of serving them in prayer and finances. And when they come back to the States or they're around us at any time, we get to have a lot of fun with them and pour what we can onto them and say thank you for being a gopher for God. Our global ministry conference missionaries for next week are, and we support the first two, Dave and Janine Ferguson. He's the director of special projects with Baptist Mid-Mission. Dear friend of many of you, many of you, uh, and it was the instrument that led Greg and others to, in the ministry down in the Dominican Republic of play ball. Dave and Janine have given their whole lives to work in career missions and have blessed us. We support them. Mark and Debbie Seymour, Director of Enlistment for the Eastern United States with Baptist Mid-Mission served for years in the country of Chad, Africa, and is now home and spending these years sharing with students mainly in colleges and churches what it's the, the brilliant life, the wonderful life of being a missionary and thinking missions. And then folks that we do not support that will be with us, the young couple Josh and Rachel Stewart, they are church planners to Taiwan with Baptist Mid-Mission. We, we, we can't wait for next Sunday. We, we're, we wait for this every year. We love it. World missions and being a gopher for God is not all doom and gloom, as many of you may think. Mobilizing people to be gophers for God around the world is an exciting initiative at least we find it that way with Compass 2819. People of all nations, religions, and cultures are coming to Christ. They are being baptized and taking a stand for Christianity. <clears throat> you should know that. We teach that. We preach that. We have videos that show that. It's not doom and gloom. It's glory to Christ. <coughs> Is there suffering? Of course. Jesus said there would be suffering. Are there rewards in serving the King of Kings? Absolutely. We are responsible for our generation and its evangelization. We have such a great opportunity to reach the world for Christ. We have wonderful means of travel now. A multiplicity of tools, all kinds of, of tools and information to identify those people in cultures without Christ and target them. It's the best time to be a gopher for God. In the final declaration by the 2010 Congress, on world evangelism taking place in Cape Town, South Africa back in 2010. These words were written to, to finalize the conference. 
human beings are lost. The underlying human predicament remains as the Bible describes it. We stand under the just judgment of God in our sin and rebellion. And without Christ, we are without hope. The gospel is good news. The gospel is not a concept that needs fresh ideas, but a story that needs fresh telling. It is the unchanged story of what God has done to save the world supremely in the historical events of the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus Christ. In Christ, there is hope. The church's mission goes on. The mission of God continues to the ends of the earth and to the end of the world. Oh God, make us more a gopher for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would, please. Number one invitation to you this morning is if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't have to come forward. You don't even have to talk to us. We would love to talk to you. But I'm inviting you to come forward. If you do not know the Lord Jesus, if you're, if you're confused and you, you don't know where your soul would be at death, we would love to talk to you because there is hope in Christ. We had a funeral here the other day, dear, dear family. I am the preacher at a funeral this Tuesday. Loved ones, we pass away. <laughs> We're gone. We will leave this world someday. That's a fact. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And number two invitation, with your head bowed and your eyes still closed, I'm, this is my my missional theme invitation, and that is, is God calling you young person? Is he calling you middle-aged older alike person? Is he calling you into ministry? Yeah, career ministry. There's nothing like it. Nothing wrong with secular work. My, my Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. Until God calls you to career ministry. Is there a heartbeat for missions? And I close with this Invitation. If there is, yeah, I'd like to know more about this missions. I'd like to know more of what I can do in ministry. Would you raise your hand? Eyes closed, head bowed. Would you raise your hand? <clears throat> Boy, I'd like to know more about how to be a missionary, how to be in career ministry. Anybody? I will pray for you. Father, we bow our heads and our hearts this morning and say thank you for the Lord Jesus and what he's done and that we can be gophers for him. We appreciate what the disciples did and said when they were here as they were gophers for you. 
you have given us the Holy Spirit to be gophers for you now. May we do that with a cheerful heart. Thank you, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can come.